0: Welcome back, listeners. I'm Mary Jomata, one of your EdSurge Air podcast hosts. Johanna Hayes, the 2016 National Teacher of the Year, knows what it takes to be a good teacher. In fact, she's been in the game for 12 years, currently serving as a history teacher at John F. Kennedy High School in Waterbury, Connecticut. But she also believes that not everyone is cut out for the profession, especially if they aren't willing to change with the times, times that have brought an onslaught of new technologies and practices into the classroom. What does it mean, then, for the teaching profession to prepare for the year 2020 and beyond? Last week, Ed Surge had the opportunity to sit down with Hayes to hear about her thoughts on what the profession is missing why there's a dearth of minority educators in the field, and how her own district struggles with antiquated ideas about social media and the like. Here's a very special Ed Surgeon Air Extra. So I am here with Johanna Hayes, who has become a essentially legendary uh, because she is the 2016 National Teacher of the Year uh, from Connecticut. She's got 12 years of teaching experience. Johanna, I just got to ask right off the bat, what does it feel like to be the National Teacher of the Year?
1: I'm still processing that every day. It's something different. It's definitely different than classroom teaching.
0: In what way? So tell me a little bit. So what are your responsibilities this year? So are you going to be in the classroom? Or are you traveling all over the country talking to people?
1: No, I've been released from the classroom for a year and my responsibility is to serve as almost an ambassador to the profession. So um, I'm doing speeches, attending conferences, meeting with policymakers, legislators, just the classroom teacher's voice in the conversation about education
0: which is something that I've actually, as I've interviewed more and more teachers in this role, I've realized that the teacher voice element gets forgotten a lot of the time. Why do you think that is? What is it about the way that public education works in this country nowadays that keeps somehow that teacher voice from entering into these crucial conversations?
1: Well, one thing that I'm learning very quickly in this role is that, Everybody comes to the table with their unique perspective, and I've met well-intentioned policymakers and legislators and textbook companies, and they have all these consultants and they've done all this research, and they're doing what they think is the best thing for teachers. And I think because it looks so very different in the classrooms, you know, I'm a high school history teacher, so, You know, what affects me is going to be very different than an elementary reading coach. And I think that as teachers, it's not just this one size fits all approach. So it it takes work to solicit teacher voice because it's not just one voice. You know, there are so many different perspectives. And I think people have to be willing to take the time, you know, and be purposeful about their interactions with teachers.
0: Well, let's talk about your you sort of your own path as a teacher for a second, because I know that a lot of our audience is kind of curious about how you got to where you are. So, what was it about education that excited you and got you on the path towards going to community college and then getting a four year degree and going back to becoming a teacher?
1: Well, I think the thing about education is it's a long term answer. And for me, i think that some of the challenges in my life were just so overwhelming that i decided this cannot be my life you know i have to put in the time i have to put in the effort you know because at the end of this process i need i need to be self-sufficient i need to be educated and i think that presents a barrier to a lot of people because It's not something that, you know, you enter a program and you're done in three months or six months. It's a long-term process that requires a huge amount of commitment and investment. And for me, I just was at a point where I have nothing to lose. You know, it has to be better than this. Mm
0: -hmm. And has your journey to being, becoming a teacher sort of made you realize both what the profession needs and also what it might be missing out on?
1: Absolutely. I think that for me I had to get it right you know it was so important to me and I I reflect back on so many of those experiences and think about you know at the times where school was the only thing that was safe for me where school was the only thing where I experienced any type of success and you know I know how important it is to duplicate those experiences so I'm constantly reflecting back to my journey to become an educator.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm And do you think that there are certain things that the teaching profession is missing now? I mean, I was a teacher for a couple of years, and I remember thinking to myself, why is it that so many people in my life seem to be surprised that I want to be a teacher? I feel like there's this reputation that is making it somewhat more difficult for teaching to attract really strong talent. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, it's funny because in my travels, you know, people will ask me how should we introduce you and I say, well I'm just a teacher and the response is usually no, you're not just a teacher and I think you don't get it That's all I've ever wanted to be so for me. This is the dream job But I think that you know the last decade with the media and with you know teachers retiring from the profession and declining enrollment in some of our preparation programs. There's just this idea that, you know, there's so many accountability standards and there's so many hoops that teachers have to jump through that I think people really are missing out on the gift that is teaching. You know, the reason why so many of us go into this profession in the first place. And unfortunately for many young people, it's something that it's almost not worth it to even join this profession. So I'm hoping that the next decade will do better at you know marketing who we are, at sharing the positives of what's happening in this profession. You know I, I think we just we've come out of an era with No Child Left Behind and you know a lot of the measures that have been put in place that was meant to protect students and elevate the profession, but it only showed one side of and what we do. So I think that in some ways is unfortunate because so many young people who have a tremendous gift are not even considering teaching as a profession because they're only hearing about one side of it.
0: Do you think that contributes to the lack of minority teachers as well? Or is the lack of um, teachers of color something else? Are there other elements contributing to that?
1: I definitely think that that contributes to it. But I know for me, You know, not having seen many minority teachers, and even today, you know, as I travel, you know, when I look at some of my State Teacher of the Year colleagues, teaching looks traditionally one way, you know. Kids look at teachers as a certain demographics from a certain community, you know. At my school, probably 70% of the staff is white female. And kids think that you have to be the smartest in your class, the top of your subject, So this idea that there's not a place for me in the profession, you know, I I saw a beautiful quote, you have to see it to be it. Like kids haven't seen people who are similarly situated, students of color, you know, in teaching professions who can share their experiences and, and convince them almost that, you know, there's a role for you in teaching. And I think that's a part of it. Like I work in a large urban district. Many of the teachers who are employed in my building live, come in from the suburbs, teach in this community, go back home. So kids really who are from these communities don't see themselves in those roles and then they're going home and they're not having conversations about what needs to be done to get into that role. So it just becomes almost a Mm non-factor.
0: And I wonder too, you know, it's, it's funny how you see a lot of these sort of newer training programs. You have Teach for America, you have New York City teaching fellows. And I wonder, are those programs helping to add to the teaching profession? Or are they actually making it seem like something that you just do temporarily? Do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Well, I think that it's it's almost a double-edged sword because any any program that helps to attract people to the profession i think is beneficial and many teachers enter through teach for america and programs like that but i think this idea that anybody can do this is not help helpful you know you look at countries around the world and it's almost a privilege to even be invited into this profession so the site you can come in right this idea that you can come in anybody can do this and it's a stepping stone to get to your real career I think may be detrimental, but at the same time, you catch those handful of people who come in and fall in love with this profession and choose to stay. But I think from the onset, you know, young people, high school students, early college students need to know that teaching is a profession, that it's a noble profession, that, you know, it's not a default career or something that you use to get to where you're going. And I think we really have to almost as a country, elevate this profession in that way so that it no longer feels like, you know, it's, it's the gateway to your real job.
0: Well, let's switch gears for a second, because I'm curious, you know, we as a publication write a lot about technology. And there's, you know, a lot of things that have changed in education the last couple of years what we just talked about with this changing reputation of teaching is one thing. Another thing is there are a lot of companies out there creating products that they think can better teaching or they can better the classroom experience. Do you have any thoughts about what role technology plays in what you've done over the past 12 years?
1: I think, Oh my God, you can't even, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Technology has changed teaching. Teaching especially for myself as a history teacher, you have access to unlimited resources that are right at your fingertips. And I think one of the challenges that we have at schools is that we can't keep up with the technology. You know, oftentimes my students are walking me through programs that our IT department hasn't even gotten yet. You know, we purchase computers or equipment, and then two years later, it's outdated. And we really don't have the resources to keep up with technology in the way that other industries have. So I don't think I think it's very rare that a school or a district uses technology to its full capacity. You know, oftentimes we've had students who we we familiarize them with a program and then they go out into the workforce and that program is obsolete. So I I think a better use of our resources to kind of partner with some of the industries who can't afford to keep up with technology and use that as an avenue for students. But teaching does not look like what it did even five years ago. Just, it's so very different. You know, I can take my kids on a tour of the Smithsonian from my classroom. I can Skype into another educator and share resources or watch them teach in order to improve my own practice. It just looks very different. And I don't think we are equipped to keep pace with the changes that are happening.
0: That's something we get asked that a lot is you know there with every new technology that pops up every couple months how am i supposed to and this is mostly from administrators how do i keep my teachers on top of their game with all of these new products coming out and and you're right i think that students themselves know they they're a resource of information but how do you keep up with them so do you have any advice for other teachers, you know, whether they're aspiring teachers or teachers that have been in it for 25 years, about how to keep up with this onslaught of technology?
1: Well, I think even before teachers, I think districts and, you know, central office personnel need to really change their view of technology. You know, I think back to when I was named the finalist for the National Teacher of the Year, my district has a policy against social media. so I. I had no social media presence, and apparently everyone else in the world communicates in this way. So I kind of had to go back to them, and they had these very antiquated ideas about, you know, the, how social media works. And you know, I says maybe we need to just educate people on how to use it responsibly, but to excuse ourselves from that conversation or say we don't use it at all is almost unrealistic, you know. And even through this process my students set up my Skype account. I had to, like, whenever something came out, Google Drive, all these different applications, it was my students who were very familiar with this who walked me through it. You know, so the professional development that we were offering, the students told me, you know, we don't even use those programs anymore. So I think really just this is one of those areas, again, where we would have to partner with someone who uses technology on a regular basis, you know, in this very breakneck pace way and bring them into schools. And maybe if, if I think the districts are, are concerned about the cost, but use that shared philosophy where you train one teacher and then that teacher then in turn trains the rest of the staff. But we really have to approach this. Our, our answer can't be we're just not going to use it. When
0: when you're talking about organizations to partner with, are you thinking universities, companies, other districts?
1: Both. I think we really have to take a better look at the resources that are already in place. I mean, oftentimes we're trying to set up our own systems when we can share some of the systems that are in place. I've traveled around the country and there are school districts that are, you know, positioned next to large corporations, or universities, I think whatever is in your area that you have access to, we kind of have to start looking at things in very non-traditional ways. You know, now the school district sets up their own professional development calendar. They create their own systems and really don't look outside to see, you know, is there anyone in the community that would be willing to share what they already know is working and some of their resources with us, you know, maybe cut the cost in that way.
0: Mm-hmm. It seems like there are some good ideas in this, and and I'm hoping that as you're traveling around the country and sharing some of this advice, you know that people will take it to heart. But I'm also curious. So to kind of loop back to what we first started talking about at the beginning, you know, there are people out there that are future or aspiring teachers, and as they're probably getting ready for you know their first year in the fall, they may have some. Concerns, some nervousness, a little bit of resistance. Do you have any big advice for those teachers going into the world that is teaching in modern day?
1: <laughs> I think probably one of the best lessons that I learned as a teacher, and this was after a couple years of making mistakes. You know, I went in coming out of a teacher preparation program thinking that. I had to master my content. I had to know the ins and outs of lesson planning and classroom management and all that is very important, but it wasn't until a few years in that I I realized, you know, teaching is about relationships. You're dealing with people all the time. So you really have to make room to cultivate those relationships and then kids will learn, you know, if you, if you hook them in, if they, you establish trust, if you, You know show them that you care about their well-being and you're fully invested in their success kids will learn and I think that We don't spend enough time on the character side of education You know so much of what we do and who we are focuses on the content side But as you begin to develop character then kids will want to do better for themselves You know that intrinsic motivation will in turn help you be a better teacher so I really that, I guess, has been my, people say, do you have a magic bullet? Is there something that you do? I care about my students in a very authentic way, you know, in a very personalized way. And, and we don't really spend time, you know, in teacher preparation programs or with early educators, just helping them to really develop relationships with parents and students and communities and then use those relationships to help them you know, improve their own craft.
0: Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Johanna Hayes made some mistakes her first couple years, but now she is the national teacher of the year. It can happen to you. And I think the character piece is huge. And I want to give you a minute, Johanna, if there's anything else that you want to share with our audience. I'm, you know, they're all ears.
1: Um, I'm not sure who the audience is, but for teachers, I think I would say, don't wait for changes to happen. You know, I I think about, as I reflect over the process that I'm in now, you know, oftentimes we wait for policies to change or legislation to change or the school district to do something large. There's so much that we can do right from the classroom. There's so many ways to impact teaching and education. So just, I guess, do your part. You know, if something is working in your classroom, even if it's not recognized right away, share it with the people in your building, you know, the people at the district level. And little by little, it doesn't always have to be a huge explosion that impacts education. It's all those little things that count, and who knows, maybe 10 years later, someone will say, we've looked at everything you've done over the past 10 years. But I think oftentimes we wait for things to happen You know, seek out your own opportunities, find your own partnerships, you know, from the classroom, I've written grants, I found money to do different things, I've reached out to organizations in my community to support some things I've done in my class. So there are different ways to get things. Wait for that big aha moment, you know, little by little, you can make an impact from your classroom.
0: Johanna, thank you so much for being on the podcast. If anybody wants to keep up with you or where your travels are, where can we find that information?
1: Well, there is CCSSO, which is the organization that runs the teacher of the year program has um, a website. And I also have a Twitter account at Johanna Hayes, where I generally tweet out where I am, what I'm doing. It's a, 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 Breakneck year, so I'm all over the place. But I try to keep people informed. There are so many people who are following this journey, sharing in this journey. You know, sending me their ideas to kind of put out on a national platform, and, and I, I need that kind of help. So that's at Johanna Hayes as my Twitter hashtag.
0: So you are giving us the leeway to stalk you, is essentially what you're saying.
1: Absolutely to help me. I look at it helping me because sometimes I don't have all the information or the ideas you know people send me articles you know give me ideas and I'm in a position where I have a voice and people are listening so it's not just my voice it's the voice of everyone who has an interest in education so I I don't look at it as a stalking I, I look at it as kind of getting help from people who are concerned about you know the best interests of our kids
0: Thanks so much for listening to this very special Ed Surge On Air Extra. If you're curious to hear more from our podcast, visit our soundcloud.com page for all past episodes.